Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Monday, the 27th of July. The recent Black Lives Matter protests have renewed the call for better treatment of Indigenous Australians. And today we brief you on a practical change that could help bring down the number of Indigenous kids ending up in jail. All I wanted was my mum and my dad. Mm. I wanted my brothers. I just wanted to have my own home. I wanted to feel safe. I just wanted to be happy. And that little boy was still inside me. The big question there is, why are we still locking up 10-year-olds? And did you even know that we do? That story in just a moment. First, Annika Smethurst is here to get you up to speed on the big stories of the day. Morning, Tom. Now, did you see either of these videos from the weekend? Yes. Have I committed a crime? Yes. Yes. It's a criminal matter now for not wearing a mask. Yes, correct. <laughs> we need a medical certificate if you guys aren't wearing a mask. I actually don't need a medical certificate if you refer you to the DH. No, I'm allowed to do this. That's and you're discriminating. Now, that audio is from two separate videos that went viral on the weekend. One facing off with Bunning staff and the other woman was challenging police in a car park. Yeah, they were absolutely cringeworthy, especially when so many people are... Uh wearing masks as they should be to keep their whole community safe. The women film those encounters themselves on their own phones, claiming that they didn't legally need to wear the mask in public in Melbourne, which is not true, by the way. Yeah, Premier Daniel Andrews was asked about it after announcing 459 new cases and 10 deaths yesterday, which included one man in his 40s. It's just not about human rights. Well, there's, there's, there's 10 families that are going to be burying someone in the next few days. Wear a mask. Yeah, it's fair to say he's pretty fed up with that. Yeah, and people who don't wear masks and who don't have a lawful excuse not to do so can be fined $200. And there's been 20 mask-related fines issued over the last 24 hours. And Victorian police said that on Sunday they'd fine 20 people for mask-related offences. In New South Wales now, um, Woolworths are encouraging all their customers to wear masks in the hotspot areas of Fairfield and Liverpool. Do you have a mask yet, Tom? I did have some disposable masks, but we've used them all now. So I think we're getting closer to ordering them in New South Wales. It feels pretty um, scary at the moment. We're about to see another wave. I felt watching that footage of, of those mask encounters over the weekend that this was kind of a another moment of shame for Australia in our handling of the pandemic. You, you think back to the toilet paper episodes and, and now this. Well, look, it does suggest that perhaps this is the minority. You know, a lot of people are doing the right thing and I think sometimes these videos actually do more for the anti-mask movement than, say, the pro-mask movement. But it does sound like a lot of people are actually doing the right thing in Melbourne and there's not a lot of people on the streets, so that's one positive. And staying in Victoria, there's been a lot of debate about potentially going into stage four lockdowns, but the Premier's revealed Melbourne and the Mitchell Shire are basically there already. The universal wearing of masks, which as the Chief Health Officer has indicated, is essentially our stage four. It follows an earlier warning from the state's Chief Health Officer that modelling stage four off New Zealand, which closed everything except essentials like supermarkets, would crush the economy and might not even help the pandemic. Illegal or not, protesters in Sydney are vowing to follow through with a Black Lives Matter protest tomorrow at noon. We can't stop. We have to do this. Black Lives Matter. Organisers will go to the Court of Appeal today to try and overturn yesterday's New South Wales Supreme Court decision to prohibit the event. In that ruling, the Justice noted that New South Wales is presently on the knife edge of a further escalation in community transmission. Yeah, and at this point, it does feel kind of scary to imagine a a massive protest in the street. 
Um, so in that respect, I think a lot of people wouldn't want this to go to head. But their argument that there are still 10,000 people allowed to a football game does seem to hold some water. Yeah, it makes it a little bit inconsistent. I guess at football games, people are sitting apart and there are other sort of regulations uh, in place, but it does Mm. seem pretty hard. If you want to get out there and protest that we have this sort of inconsistency, I think the government need to be a bit stronger with their line on both these sort of mass gatherings. And just over half of Australians support a change in law that would stop kids as young as 10 from being sent to jail. This according to a survey from the Australia Institute. That data also found that most of us didn't even realise that was the age of criminal responsibility. That's when you can be convicted of knowingly committing a crime. Yeah, in a moment we're going to take a deeper look at this issue with Jan Fran. Annika, we'll catch you tomorrow. You're not old enough to have a Facebook account, but you are old enough to be locked up. That is a reality in Australia, where right across the country, children as young as 10 can be arrested by police, charged with an offence, hauled before a court and locked away in youth prisons. Yeah, and today, Australian lawmakers will have a chance to change that. The Council of Attorneys General will be looking at raising the age of criminal responsibility from 10 to 14 years old, which would bring us in line with UN standards. Now, this debate comes in the wake of last month's Black Lives Matter protests, which reignited the calls for Australia to do better in its treatment of Indigenous people. We've had family and friends dying in custody. It's not fair. One of the key areas we need to do better is our shocking incarceration rates of Indigenous people, and particularly Indigenous children. Last year, a report by the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare showed that on any given night, Indigenous children make up 60% of all children aged 10 to 13 in detention. Keenan Mundine is part of a campaign to raise the age of criminal responsibility from 10 years old to 14. He now runs an organisation called Deadly Connections, but he was first locked up at age 14 and spent 15 years in and out of prison. It, for me, was, was a real eye-opener um, and a real, I guess, soul-crushing experience. Um, my, my experience is a bit unique as um, I lost both of my parents as a young boy and was separated from my family, uh, from my two older siblings, and sort of going into prison um, at, at such a young age was, was, was terrifying. Um, you know, I was only 14 years old and... I was already a double orphan. I was already separated from my two older siblings. There was a lot that I experienced in such a young age um, that wasn't really supported around my dealing with my childhood trauma, which sort of led to my um, behaviours, man, and, and my, my experimenting with drugs and alcohol at such a young age. Um, going into detention for me, I still remember it. It's a very lengthy process, so you have to go to the police station and get refused bail. Um, and then because the local detention centre here in Sydney um, is out in Penrith, uh, which is Cobham Juvenile Justice Centre, so I had to travel from the city uh, in the back of a paddy wagon on the M4 uh, in the middle of the night for about an hour just to reach this centre, only to be greeted by grown men who weren't sort of understanding of my position and and my vulnerability at that time. And they didn't really ask me too many questions and then proceeded to go through the procedure of strip searching me and and then putting me into a cell all by myself. 
So for me, that process was really, really difficult. I remember being locked in the cell, <laughs> not understanding sort of, you know, why my life panned out the way it did while I was in the cell. Um, I didn't have anybody to sort of support me or, or you know, look after me. Um, I remember crying all night and feeling like my life didn't matter. It was a very, very difficult experience for me um, that yeah. first time in, and, and unfortunately, you know, it sort of normalised the process, so it made it easier the next time I went back into custody. Man. Yeah, it's a heavy, heavy, heavy story, especially knowing about what you've been through as a child, losing your parents and being separated from your siblings. Um, you then went on to spend 15 years going in and out of prison. How much do you think that was impacted by going in so early and having that traumatic experience you described? I think it sort of, you know, laid the foundation for me. Like I said, it, it, it became a normal process now as part of my lifestyle. Um, you know, nothing was really being addressed when I entered the, the centres around, you know, what was happening in my community, what I've been through, how to give me better skills to navigate what, what I've already seen in terms of the criminal lifestyle and the criminal world. Um, you know, I was only 14 at that time trying to figure out my place in my family, in my community, what happened to me. It was a process that was preparing me for long-term imprisonment and long-term incarceration as an adult because unless you commit a serious crime as a, as a juvenile offender, you know, you're most likely to only see like six months in, eight months in, nine months in for low, low socioeconomical crime, like, you know, breaking in the cars and stealing and doing these things that most of the kids do that come from poor socioeconomical communities and unsupported families. Um, for me, like I said, it was just preparing me to go to prison and to be locked away for years. What did it take for you to break out of that system? It took a lot of courage. It took a lot of healing. It took um, a lot of self-awareness and a lot of the skills that I um, acquired to be able to survive the life that I lived at that time, to be able to transfer them. But you, you heard my story um, before I went into custody and, you know, all I wanted as a 14-year-old kid was my mum and my dad. Mm. I wanted my brothers. I just wanted to have my own home. I wanted to feel safe. I just wanted to be happy. Um, and that little boy was still inside me, even though um, I, I was so deep and lost in um, drugs and alcohol and, you know, my, battling with my mental health. Um, I didn't want to grow up to be, you know, a heroin addict and be in prison, like I said, and I just wanted to be loved and feel safe and, and, and to go to school and feel normal, man. Yeah, Keenan, when you look at the, the numbers of Indigenous kids locked up like this, um, more than half of them have been in state care, so they have obviously had some kind of family breakdown, which is what you experienced as well. It sounds like that's what we need to be yeah. addressing. Yeah. For me, you know, it, it, I, I'm a big advocate for raising the age because... You know, I went in at 14 and, and, and I still have struggles every day with my mental health and, you know, my um, 
institutionalization and the way they program you to think and, and the way they make you feel because when you're in those institutions um, everything you say and do is used against you whether you go for bail whether you're asking to be released um, you know little minor misconducts having fights and, and things that normal kids do at school and you know normal kids have disagreements um, get documented and portray you as a threat to not only the community but a threat to others that you're incarcerated with and you know for me I um, have all of my records upstairs because I had to fight uh, to prove that I'm no longer that person to, to be able to do the work that I'm doing and I've read you know all of the case notes that juvenile detention staff wrote about me and I had to you know I basically man like I said became the person they portrayed me to be you know mm. it's very 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 difficult sometimes to go through that paperwork because not one mention in there about my early childhood trauma or, or, or my um you know removal from my family and all of the things that I struggled with personally um it's no place for a child and there is no proof um, or research that children go into these detention centres and come out equipped to be functioning members of society. Yeah. Kenan, what do you think is a, I guess, a more appropriate or a more effective or, or a better way of dealing with 10 to 13-year-olds um, who perhaps commit a crime or behaving badly? What is a better way than sending them to jail or detention? For me, um, the work that I do now with, with my uh, charity, Deadly Connections, Community and Justice Services, you know, what we do and what we ask people to do is, you know, is to think about these 10 to 13-year-old children and if they have you know, the love, the support, the care and the access to alternative means to to you know, have fun and do extracurricular activities, would they be, you know, displaying such behaviours? And if they are displaying su such behaviours, well, then we need to support this child to learn new skills, to, to regulate their emotions and to understand their place, you know, within their family, within their community, within their school, within their social life, and also not just judge the parents. So, you know, that's the approach that, that, that I take when talking about these young people. Um, you know, they're only 10 to 13 um, and they're trying to find their place in the world. They're trying to figure it all out by themselves, you know. We need to be that unconditional love, that guidance, that support to be able to show them and lead them on the right path rather than just locking them up and giving them a criminal record. That was Keenan showing how vulnerable those kids can be at that early age and then what what the impact of going into prison is. Yeah, and it's a, a lifelong impact, isn't it? Roxanne Moore is a Noongar woman and she's a human rights lawyer. She's also the executive officer of NatSils, which is a national Indigenous legal service. She's really helping drive the Raise the Age campaign. So Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids are criminalised, over-policed, targeted. Our kids are 65% of 10 to 13-year-olds who are in prison, but only 6% of the population. So this is a, a serious injustice. And we know that the younger that kids are um, locked up, it means they're more likely to come back into prison. And so this one change 
change could have an immediate and generational change for our young people and their futures. Why do you think young Indigenous children are so overrepresented in the criminal justice system? Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids are pushed into the criminal justice system because of racism and disadvantage. A lot of the offences that our kids are coming into the system for are really minor, things like breaching bail, traffic offences, public order offences, theft, you know, stuff relating to disadvantage. So we need to change the laws which are discriminating against Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids, things like mandatory sentencing and bail laws. But we also need to be looking at Aboriginal-led diversion and um, wellbeing and support programs for kids so that our kids are being strong and connected to community and culture rather than being locked up in harmful prisons. So how much do you think that finding a better solution, particularly for this lower age bracket, how much do you think that'll reduce the chances of them ending up in prison later on as a teenager or even as an adult? So the research is quite clear on this. 94% of 10 to 12-year-olds who are locked up will come back to prison before they're 18. And that risk decreases with each age. So the younger a kid is locked up, the higher their likelihood of coming back to prison. So there's been a, a lot of discussion and focus on the unfair treatment of Indigenous people in our in our prison and justice system. The Black Lives Matter protests from the US spilled over to Australia and helped drive that focus. And you've also got um, the Attorneys General meeting today. What hope do you have that there's enough momentum to change this? And, and that might even happen today at this meeting of Attorneys General. I really hope today that Attorneys General around the country make the right decision to raise the age of criminal responsibility from 10 to at least 14 years. All of the medical evidence and research shows that uh, this is an evidence-based move. The rest of the world has caught up with this and Australia is really lagging behind. We've got one of the lowest ages of criminal responsibility in the world. This is one step they can take right now to immediately and for generations to come reduce the over-incarceration of our young people to stop these injustices happening to our kids in prison and to give all of our kids a brighter future. So that was Roxanne Moore, Indigenous human rights lawyer. And I guess, Jan, after hearing that, and particularly Keenan's powerful story, we'll be watching very closely later today to see if anything comes out of that Attorneys General meeting. Yeah, indeed we will. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we're going to speak to gold medal winning Olympic swimmer Mac Horton, who should be competing in the Tokyo Olympics right now. We're going to find out how he's coping and staying focused for next year's Tokyo Games. If they go ahead, we'll speak to you then. A Podcast One production.